What is Thursday? What? I heard something kind of weird over here. Do y'all really not know? What is Thursday? Thank you. Do you know the first Thanksgiving that we have on record celebrating our country was in 1621, 392 years ago. We had four people in the first service who actually remembered it. It was awesome. The pilgrims and the Indians got together. It was a three-day feast. They played football. They ate. They, uh, they fellowship. It really was a great time of, uh, of righteous partying, if that's a proper phrase. They, it was a wonderful time. And Thanksgiving, the, the holiday itself has a rich uh, history, not only in our country, just from that, but in the middle of the Civil War, in 1863, the middle of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln declares that Thanksgiving will be a national holiday. Isn't that weird in the middle of the Civil War? But probably a very appropriate thing. And then our Congress actually, our Congress in the last 200 plus years did one thing right in 1941. They declared the fourth Thursday of every November would be set aside for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a great day for a lot of reasons, but it's a biblical principle to set aside time to thank God. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in 1 Chronicles 16, not Corinthians. 1 Chronicles, it's a strange passage in the Old Testament. Chronicles is normally one of those books that a lot of it you read fast. You speed read when you're reading through the Bible. When it has a list of people who have very odd names, that this is one of those books. But there's an interesting story in here that fits right in with what we're trying to communicate this morning. And the big thing is this. We need to make thanking God a dominant thing in our lives. This morning, I want to challenge you not to make Thanksgiving something we just do Thursday or not to make something that is important in your life or even a priority, but biblically, I think we will see it needs to be something that is dominant in your life. Shakespeare is, was given credit for this. There's Willie for this quote that if a Christian ought to be anything, they ought to be thankful. Now, a Christian ought to be more than that, but certainly there's truth to that. If you are a Christ follower this morning, one thing you ought to be is a thankful person. If you're not a Christian, the great news is you can come to Christ today. We will help you. We will let you. We will facilitate that. Uh, But if you're here today and you're an atheist, we are so happy you're here. You're in the right place. I don't know who you think on Thursday, but you've got a lot to be thankful for. Correct? Everybody does. In in this passage, 1 Chronicles, if you can read on the screens or you can read in your Bible with me, starting in verse 37, it says, David left Asaph and his associates before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister there regularly. According to each day's requirements, he also left Obed-Edom and his 68 associates to minister with them. Obed-Edom, son of Jedithon, and also Hosea were gatekeepers. David left Zadok, the priest, and his fellow priests before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place in Gibeon to present burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly morning and evening in accordance with everything written in the law of the Lord. Now, verse 41, it's in, this, is a, this is our key verse this morning. With them, Heman and Jedithan and the rest of those chosen and designated by name to give thanks to the Lord 
for his love endures forever. And it goes on in verse 42 and talks about part of their job and responsibility there was to, to provide the music for this place. Now, this is, a, this is weird. And you read this, and you're probably thinking, okay, this sermon's going to be worse than normal today because this doesn't make any sense at all. But hopefully it's going to. David had just been chosen as king. And David is trying to bring everything consolidated to Jerusalem to be their capital. And so the Ark of the Covenant, everybody in here, you know what the Ark of the Covenant is, don't you? Even from Hollywood, you've heard of it. It was the magnificent thing made in Moses' day that represented literally the presence of God. And the Jewish people had lost it. They got it back. And so David, earlier, if you remember this story, David's trying to bring it to uh, Jerusalem, but he doesn't do it right. Do you remember this story? And one of his men reaches out and touches it, and he dies on the spot. It's in Second Samuel. It's, kind of, it's a scary story. And then David is scared of God, so he leaves the ark at this Obed's house for three months. And Obed is blessed so much, David goes, man, we got to get some of that ark. we got to get that ark to Jerusalem. And so they do it right this time, and they get the ark to Jerusalem. This is a story where David's dancing. You remember that? And one of his wives looks at him, and she's disgusted. And he says, well, you're so disgusted, you'll never be my honey again. Now, that's easy to say when you got 80 wives. Amen, guys? And it's not like we can say that to ours, but that's what David said to one of his that day because she's disrespected him. Now, here's what's interesting. David brings the ark to Jerusalem. He sets up a special tent to put the ark in. But he leaves the rest of the tabernacle in Gibeon. Now, what was the tabernacle? The tabernacle was made by Moses. For definition, it was a portable temple. It was a movable temple. And, and it, it contained several things. I mean, it was a big area. And, and, of course, the ark sat in the middle of that. Well, David takes the ark, and he takes it to Jerusalem, but he leaves the rest of the tabernacle on the altars in Gibeon. Let me show you on a map to give you a little context. There is Jerusalem right there. There is the little town of Bethlehem that we'll be talking about in a few weeks. Bethlehem's five or six miles south of Jerusalem. Gibeon is six to seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. Not far, but of course, when you're doing everything by feet, that's a, that's a good distance. So David, uh, it, it's kind of odd. So in David's reign, they worship at the ark in Jerusalem, and they have priests assigned to it, but they have priests assigned to the rest of the tabernacle in Gibeon, and they do a lot of their sacrifices in Gibeon. And you're going, what in the world does this have to do with us? Here's what it has to do with us. Verse 41. With them were Heman and Jedithon, and in the rest of those chosen and designated by name to give thanks to the Lord. The word thanks there is an important word, obviously, this morning. It's a verb. It's an action verb. It means to cast for something or to speak something. Here it's talking about thanksgiving. In other words, he's not saying be thankful in your heart, have good intention, God knows my heart, and all that blah, blah, blah stuff that we tell ourselves to justify our behavior. It's saying that thanksgiving is recognizing, thinking about how you've been blessed and then speaking it out and letting it out and declaring it here to God. Here's Here's how important God thinks thanking him is. Now, he's not saying this because he's an egocentric God whose self-esteem is low, and he needs people just to praise him and thank him all the time. It's so important that God left two priests, two full-time ministers 
in Gibeon, and their whole job is to thank God and to praise God. Now, put this in our context. What if we were going to hire two new ministers next year? And their job, they were the ministers of thanksgiving. And they came in. One of them came in at 7.30 in the morning. That's pretty early for a minister, but let's just say we make these guys. They come in at 7.30, work 7.30 to 3, and the other one comes in from 3 to 11 o'clock at night. Their whole job is to be here in the sanctuary and for eight hours a day to praise God and to thank God for his blessings. You know what? People might think we were a nutty church, but they would know we were serious about praising and thanking God, won't we? Now, I'm saying this to you to tell you this morning, thanksgiving and thanking God, it does not need to be an afterthought in our lives. It does not to be something we're careless about. It should be something that dominates in the life of a Christ follower. If God thought it was important enough to assign two full-time ministers to do this as their job, how much more important is it for you and me to spend time prioritizing, praising, and thanking God every day? Every day. Think about that. Now let's answer this. What should we be thankful for today? If Thanksgiving should be dominant, what should we be thankful? Some of you have no problem with that. Some of you are struggling with it. Well, I don't know. What do I I have to be thankful for? I'm going to give you several things that if you follow this outline the rest of your life, you'll never exhaust how you can thank God. I heard a great story of a little boy named Billy. It was Thanksgiving. He was four years old. He was old enough this year to be given the task of saying thanks. And he began to thank God. Everybody's there, grandmamas from both sides, all the cousins. There's a bunch of people, and Billy starts saying thanks. Everybody's holding hands. And he starts thanking God. He's real sincere. He's thanking God for every relative by name. And there's 20 people there. Thank you for, for Grandmama. Thank you for Uncle Bill. Thank you for Aunt Sue. Thank you, thank you, thank you, his cousins, his brothers. Then he starts in on the food by, by item. Have y'all ever had anybody like that that prays like that? Well, my, my aunt's here, and her daddy, who was my granddaddy, we called him Pop. Pop prayed like that a lot of times. Pop would pray. He, he, Pop would pray so long you'd be stealing french fries during the prayer. But then if you'd been caught, that'd have been a capital punishment crime. I guarantee they'd have hung the kid upside down outside. Billy's praying for all the food. He's praying for the turkey. He's praying for the tea. He's praying for the meat. He's praying for the dressing. Then he stops. And any time when there's a long prayer and there's a pause, everybody peeks, don't they? You, you won't admit it, but it's true. Uh, one eye comes open. And he squeezes his mama's hand. And he says, Mama... If I thank God for the broccoli, will God know I'm lying? <laughs> Listen, I'm with Billy. I'm not going to thank God for the broccoli. If I'm on a deserted island and I've got down to 115 pounds and there's just broccoli left, I'll eat it. But unless it's deep fried in chocolate, I'm not eating it this Thursday. Okay? But there's still a lot of things to be thankful for. Let me give you a few. Here's number one. Thank God for God, for God himself. When was the last time, honestly, when you said, God, I am thankful for you? Listen to what this passage tells us about our God. It's so, it's so neat, so awesome. Verse 25, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Th- that word there, Great means marvelous, that our God is marvelous. In verse 34, it gets even better. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Folks, here's what the word good there means. It it means righteous. 
It means that God is always correct. Now, that's good, but that'll get you in trouble. If all God was was righteous, he would have destroyed most of us long ago. The word good means that God's righteous, but it means God's beautiful. It means that God's joyful. It means, listen, it means God's happy, God's cheerful. How many of you think it's great we have a happy God? Wouldn't it be terrible to have a grouchy God? Hey, God, how's it going? Shut up or I will smite you right now. Wouldn't that be bad? We have a good God who's beautiful, who's loving. And it says in this verse, his love endures forever. This word love was one of the most important words in the Hebrew Old Testament. It means loving kindness and mercy. It was central to the character of God, who it was. And it says he is this way forever. Folks, isn't it wonderful that the God who created you, who holds everything in his hands, is a loving, merciful, kind God. Isn't that great? Reverse it and think about it. Yeah, it's great. And it says it's forever. In other words, God was loving, kind, and righteous, and good, and marvelous the day you were born. He's going to be that way the day you die. In 10 million years from now, in heaven, he is still going to be a loving, merciful, wonderful God. When was the last time you said, God, thank you for you? I, want to get, I just want to tell you what I do in my personal prayer time when I'm thanking God. Like many of you, I have a time when I set aside to, to pray, and I do several things. I praise God, a little different from thanks. And then I ask God to help me forgive church members who've been mean to me that week. Normally that list is like 90 to 95. It's tough. But it, then I confess my sin, which is even a longer list. And, and then I, you know, I will pray for others and pray for myself. But I, I, in the middle of that, I thank God. And one of the things I always try to do when I thank God is I thank God for him. Here's, here's just what I do. I say, God the Father, thank you for who you are. Man, God, you could have chosen to be anyway. Listen, when you create the world, the world you create the rules, amen? And God said, I'm going to be loving and merciful. I say, Father, thank you that you're loving and merciful. Jesus, thank you that you left heaven and came to earth for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you are God and you are the Son of God. And thank you for being so wonderful. And Holy Spirit, when, a lot of times when I talk to the Holy Spirit, I pat myself on my chest because you know why? He lives in this, doesn't he? I say, Holy Spirit, I know I give you a lot of sugar and I make the insulin in this thing go up a lot, but thank you, Holy Spirit, for living in me and guiding me and directing me. I want to challenge you. Thank God for God. Here's the second thing. Thank him for his salvation. If you're a Christian this morning, Think about this. At one time in your existence, you were on your way to hell. You had to reach out and take Jesus' hands, what the Bible says, by faith. But he did everything possible. Jesus left heaven to come to earth. He died on the cross for your sins. He got up and he walked out of that tomb. And if you're a Christian, you're not, you can be today. He saved you. Listen, every day the rest of your life, you ought to thank Jesus for saving you. You realize how great that was that he saved you? Thank him for saving you. Here's the third thing. Thank him for the health that you have. I know you may say today, my health's not good. And, and you may not be lying. You, you may have a lot of health problems. But you had enough health to be able to get here this morning, didn't you? And if you're watching via the Internet, you have enough health to be able to do that. And thank God for the Internet. That's another thanks. I read a story years ago. About a pastor named Jack Hinton was in... Tobago on a mission trip. 
And on Sunday morning during this trip, they went to a, a leper colony. Now, that's not like a zoo where there's animals. That was people who were suffering from the disease of leprosy. And leprosy is a terrible disease. You see that in the Bible. It, it's, a, it's a disease that literally eats away a person. I mean, it's, it's just terrible. And he's leading worship, and, and the people in this congregation are people who had leprosy. And uh, he decided to let them pick the hymns, to pick the music. And so he was asking, you know, we, we, okay, what would you like to sing? And then he said a lady raised her, her hand, and two of her fingers had already been consumed by the, the uh, disease. So, you know, she, she lifted up three fingers, basically. And he said, when I looked at her, it was, it was the most hideous face I'd ever seen, that her leprosy had just destroyed her face. And he said, yes, ma'am, what would you like to sing? And she said, count your many blessings. And he said, I had to turn around and act like I was playing with a hymn book to keep from just bursting into tears. Here's a lady whose life is literally being destroyed by a disease. Her health is terrible, but she's saying, let's sing Count Your Blessings. Your health may not be great this year, but thank God for the health that you have. Thank God for the health you have. Here's the fourth thing, and it certainly goes with it. Just thank God for your, his blessings. Man, thank God for his blessings and how he's blessed your life. In verse 12, back at the first of the chapter, it says, Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and his judgments he has pronounced. Again, I know this year's been, it's been tough for some of you, but there's still a lot of good things in your life. Clayton and I, when we were in graduate school, had a professor named T.W. Hunt. Dr. Hunt later wrote some books on prayer, and, and many of you may have read some of his books. Dr. Hunt said he did an experiment one day, that he was going throughout the course of the day to focus on everything he had to be thankful for. So he said as soon as the alarm clock went off, he said, I hate you, but God, thank you for alarm clocks because they keep me from oversleeping. He said, I set my feet on the floor, and I said, thank God I have feet. Some people got up this morning, and they don't. And thank God I'm putting my feet on carpet. Some people are getting up and putting their feet on dirt this morning. He said, I walked to the bathroom. It's cold outside, and it was warm in the house, and I thank God for how warm the house was. I started brushing my teeth, and I thank God for teeth because there's people that don't have them. And then I thank God for the water I was using, and then I thank God for the toothbrush I had, and then the toothpaste. And some of you are saying that silly. And I'm going to tell you, if you think that's silly, God needs to shake you up this morning. What T.W. Hunt said was when you begin to realize how much you have to be thankful for, it'll blow you away. Thank God for his blessings. Here's the fifth thing. Thank him for what he's protected you from. You know, it's easy, easy, easy to let this one go by. And again, I don't want to downplay anybody's hurts and pains in this room this morning. And it's not trite to say this. It could be worse. It could be worse. And there's a lot of things that we can thank God that he's protected us and our family, our children from. And lastly, thank him for other people. Last Sunday morning, the whole sermon was about thanking others for how they blessed you. You remember I said this in 9 of 13 of Paul's letters in the New Testament. He starts this way by saying, God and to them, I thank God for you. 
Certainly, he was telling them, I'm thankful. But he was also saying, listen, when I pray, I thank God for you. Do you thank God for your mamas and your daddies? Do you thank God for that person who led you to Christ or who discipled you or who has blessed you and helped you? Thank God. That beautiful song I mentioned earlier, Count Your Many Blessings, Name Them One by One, and it will amaze you what the Lord has done. That is so true, folks. When you and I stop to think, we will realize we have so much to be thankful for. So here's what I want to challenge you. Let's thank God. Man, let's thank God. Verse 41, remember this little verse tucked away in an obscure, weird passage in the Old Testament. These two men with funny names, their whole job was to to spend the day Declaring praise and thanks to God. That's how important it is to God. Here's two little challenges. Let's do it five minutes this Thursday. I, I want to challenge you Thursday morning. Thursday morning is Thanksgiving. Here's what happens to many of us. We get busy with all the people coming over. We get busy with the cooking. We get real busy with the eating. Then we start watching football. And before we know it, it's Friday. And then we got to go spend all of our money, Right? How about this? Take five minutes on Thursday. Go to the bathroom. Lock yourself in. Turn, turn water on so people think something's, you know, whatever you have to do to get five minutes uninterrupted. Get up a little earlier. Do what, go in the woods. But spend five minutes thinking, God, well, how in the world can I spend five minutes? Just use that list of six I gave you. You can run through that in about two hours. But here's another challenge. Let's set aside two minutes a day and growing to thank God. What do I mean and growing? Well, here's the, the beginning part is this. I hope you're as a Christian. You have time daily when you pray. Part of that should be thanking God. Start tomorrow. Start this afternoon. Give God two minutes a day to do nothing but thank him. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Just use that list of six things I gave you. I promise you that'll take you more than two minutes. And here's what's going to happen. If you do this, within six months, two minutes is going to be five. Within a year, five minutes is going to be ten. Five years from now, you're going to be saying, you know what? I spent 20 or 30 minutes thanking God, and I just have to stop because I don't have time to go on. Hey, let's make this a priority, a dominant thing in our life. I want to share with you a story that I think speaks to us here in Ruston pretty well. Years ago, there was a missionary, American missionary in Brazil, and he had a bad week. He had some friends and family in from America, and they they lived in northern Brazil, and they were going to fly down to southern Brazil to go to these beautiful waterfalls. They got to the airport, and they found out their flight was delayed several hours. For no reason, no explanation, they were just stuck at the airport. It's not fun, is it? They finally get down to to southern Brazil, and it's pouring down rain. They're there three days. It rains the whole time they're there. They decide to finally hike out to the waterfalls. It's an hour, an hour and a half walk. He has his video camera with him, but when they get to the falls, he realizes he had it on the on button the whole time and his battery's dead when they get there. They walk back, and when he gets to the hotel, he realizes he got too much water on his camera and his $300 camera was ruined. He calls his wife that night to tell him how bad things have gone, 
And she says, by the way, I've already decided we're going home Christmas and we're going to spend it with my family, not yours. That's tough. He gets home a few days later and he's still mad and he's still pouting about all these different struggles and issues. And he notices their car's not in the garage. And his wife says, well, it broke down downtown. You'll have to go get it tomorrow. So he takes a taxi downtown, and he gets down there, and, of course, it won't, st- won't start. He can't fix it. He calls the mechanic, and they said, we'll get someone there to tow it. About three hours later, they show up. And the mechanic does a, a good, funny thing. He says, why don't you get one more shot? <laughs> this would happen to me, I promise. It used to happen with my dad all the time. He gets in his car, and guess what? It cranks right up. He said, that's great. And he waves by to the mechanic, and the mechanic in the tow truck says, oh, no, no, no. I drove out of here. That's my gas. That's my time. You've got to pay me for coming. So begrudgingly, he reaches in his pocket and gives a lot of money to a mechanic and tow truck that weren't even used. He says, as I'm driving back home, two demons jumped on my shoulder. One was anger. One was self-pity. Here I am, a missionary on foreign soil, serving Jesus Christ. The planes stink. The weather was terrible. My camera battery was down. My camera, $300 camera, was ruined. My car broke down, and then the car started, and the mechanic wanted the money anyway. I wasn't good looking. I wasn't very fast or talented as an athlete. I was never voted most likely to succeed. The world is not very good. He was at a red light. He said he heard a knock on his window. He rose down his window, and it's a little boy. He said the boy couldn't have been any more than nine years of age. He was shirtless, barefooted, dirty. He said he was so dirty, I couldn't even tell if he had shoes on or not. His skin was crusty, hair matted. And I asked him what his name was, and he said, Jose. The missionary said, I knew from this part of the city that kids like Jose were street orphans. That at eight or nine years old, they lived on the street, and they begged for anything they got. Two other little boys began coming to the car, and the missionary asked Jose, are these your family? He said, no, they're my friends. He asked the little boy, how much money have you gathered today? He showed his little dirty hand with nasty little coins, a few in there. He said it was enough to maybe buy a Coke for the three of them. Missionary said, I reached in my back pocket, and I gave him several dollars. It wasn't much money, but it was enough for the three of them to get hamburgers and fries, maybe their only meal for the week. The little boy saw this, what would probably be five bucks to us or maybe ten now, whatever. And he saw it and his face lit up and he ran to his friends and they were so elated and someone behind him honked and he had to pull off. He said, I noticed the demons on my shoulders were quiet at this time. And he said, then I realized God had just sent an angel to me. He said, here I was so upset about a delayed flight. This kid will never be on an airplane in his life. I was upset because my $300 camera, which I can go buy another one next week, was ruined. This boy won't make $300 in 10 years. I was so upset about a car breaking down, which is annoying. That's my way of transportation. That little boy's mode of transportation are those nasty little bare feet that take him everywhere he goes. I was upset because I was going to have to spend Thanksgiving or Christmas with my in-laws. This little boy doesn't have a family, and he would gladly take one of mine if I wanted to give him away. He said, God whispered in my ear, you don't cry over spilt milk. You cry over spilt champagne. 
And he said, many of us Americans, our complaint is not a lack of necessity or the abundance of benefits. We bellyache over the frills, the thrills, and not the basics, the benefits, or the essentials. The source of many of our problems is our blessings. Wow. All we see is how the school could be better, how the community leaders are failing, how our favorite team is not what they would be. They would be if they'd listen to me, how our church is subpar, how our doctors are not as smart as the doctors somewhere else. When we're belly aching over our blessings, what a tragedy. It's kind of significant God left two men there that day, spent all their time thanking him. Here's what I want to challenge us to do in a moment when we stand. Christian, I want to start with you this morning. When we stand in a moment, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I want you to do it if you feel you should. But maybe this would be a good morning to come down the aisle and get on your knees and thank God. Sometimes it's just good to leave your seat and get on your knees and thank God. Maybe you want to come to a minister and pray with them and thank God. Christian, this morning, maybe today the truth is you need to repent of such an ungrateful heart that is sinful. Where you're standing or at the altar and get that right with God. Christian, do that this morning. Maybe you'd like to join our church this morning. One way you can do it is when we stand, you come, we'll help you. Or if you're not a Christian today, what a great day to be saved. We'll help you do that. I want to invite you to stand now. And as our musicians lead us, you feel free to leave your seats. You come to the altar. You come talk to a minister. But let's do business with Jesus Christ this morning.